I want us to become brothers again like we used to be, and for us to find ourselves and bond with each other. Can we agree to that? Opinions vary. Welcome to Three Brothers Filmcast. I'm Aaron Bergstrom, and I'm here with my brothers. Anders. And Anton. My last name is the same as my brother's. And this month, we're checking into the continental Osaka to discuss John Wick Chapter 4. We'll also briefly touch on the Super Mario Bros. movie, which is the biggest hit of 2023 so far. If you like the podcast, please leave us a five-star rating or review on Apple and Spotify, and be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel. Thanks for listening, and now on to the show. Okay, ramblers, let's get rambling. Saying goodbyes? Saying hello. You think your wife can hear you? No. Then why bother? Maybe I'm wrong. You're going to die. Maybe not. Goodbye to you, my trusted friend. A new day is dawning. New ideas, new rules, new management. We've known each other since we were nine Who is this? The Marquis de Gramont. Challenge him to single combat. Win or lose, it's a way out. When the first John Wick arrived in theaters in November 2014, Hollywood was starved for good action. Most action scenes in Hollywood blockbusters were full of hazy CGI, haphazard choreography, and an over-reliance on editing rather than stunt work to provide a visceral impact. But John Wick threw out the contemporary playbook and went back to basics. It proved that clever staging and stunt work, and a focus on the craft of action filmmaking, was actually still possible in mainstream American cinema, and could prove it to be a hit too. Now, three sequels later, the action of John Wick Chapter 4 may no longer have the same visceral novelty of the original film, but it's still a fair order better than the action in most blockbusters. The series might not have changed the form of the action genre as a whole, but it proved that there's an audience desire for choreography and stunt work and a focus on spatial coherence during action scenes. This latest film in the series follows Keanu Reeves' John Wick to Osaka, Berlin, and Paris as he tries to escape the bounty placed upon him by the High Table, the ruling order in the series' assassin underworld. The film runs 169 minutes long. That's longer than 2001 A Space Odyssey and Dune. But over two hours of the runtime is devoted to action. Wick fights his way through hotels and nightclubs, over the sands of Wadi Rum and Jordan, and most memorably up and down and up the staircase outside the Sacre Coeur in Paris. The film is as much an endurance test as an action spectacle, but there's no denying the effectiveness of the choreography, the physical appeal of Reeves, and the charismatic presence of Donnie Yen as Kane, an old friend forced to track down and kill Wick. The rest of the film is devoted to face-offs in opulent rooms, such as the mezzanine of the Paris Opera House in the Louvre, where portentous exposition is delivered explaining the film's arcane mythology. Four films in, I'm not sure anyone cares about the mythology anymore, but the filmmakers don't seem to take the hint. The mythology of the John Wick series, which details the elaborate rules of a criminal underworld, was always meant to be tongue-in-cheek. It was arch and knowing and even a little meta, codifying the rules that seemed to dominate crime films. But now it seems more decorative than anything, a holdover that passes the time between the violent action scenes. Luckily, as far as I'm concerned, the film smartly cuts down on mythology, especially compared to the previous two films. And most of the focus is on the action choreography and the bonds between the various figures in the series, including Wick, Kane, and others, including Ian McShane's Winston and Hiroyuki Sanada's Koji. But what do you guys think? 
I know I'm the biggest fan of the series of the three of us. I've liked all four of the films, but how did John Wick Chapter 4 work for you? Anton, given your reservations about some of the sequels, what did you think? So I'm actually going to say that I like John Wick 4 the best of the series. That something clicked for me while watching it in a way that didn't in the previous ones. Now, um, to sort of explain, I liked the first movie quite a bit. Uh, The second one, I recall not particularly being interested by. The action was still good, but the story was completely disinterested. I watched the third one a couple nights ago. I thought it was good. I liked the action, but again, it wasn't, I wasn't super into it. And then about halfway through John Wick 4, uh, when they're in Berlin and they're sitting down at a card table opposed to this like giant uh, German gangster guy who's dressed in a purple suit and he has golden teeth and they're waiting as he's going to sort of play out these cards. I was like, okay, this is like, like Alice in Wonderland or something. And then as we get into the later lev- uh, levels or, or scenes in the movie, <laughs> and he's going up <laughs> Sacre Coeur, and all of a sudden we have this duel. I was like, okay, I think maybe John Wick is actually like a morality play too. And I think that on this movie, I, I don't know if, if it's uh, just clicked for me or if it's not present in the other ones, but I feel like there's a lot more going on on kind of like almost like a symbolic or there's more layers of meaning to this. And that doesn't mean that like the, I think the action in this movie is great. I enjoyed it for all that sort of stuff, but I was, I was getting as, as I went through this really long viewing, you know, it's almost three hours long, but like I started to be like, okay, I think there's actually a lot of stuff going on in this movie. And so I'll be looking forward to chatting about what might that be. I'm curious. I don't know. You Anders. I I have a similar experience to John Wick. I liked the first one a fair bit. I saw it in, you know, theater when it came out. Uh, I didn't particularly care for the second one um, to the point that I wrote a, uh, a piece rebutting Aaron's review for the website where most of my complaint was uh, two things, which I'm, I think number four, it, it does get long, goes a long way to satisfying some of those reservations, but mostly was that it devolves into almost video game-ish qualities at times that I find irritating and also my just like complete lack of interest in a lot of the sort of the trappings of the series in terms of like it's it, I always say it's it's not that it, it's bad it's more it's just like too cute by half if you know like it's like oh they got the coin oh they you know that everybody's actually an assassin as you as you know thank you Aaron you mentioned there's a oh we gotta have these tatted up uh, radio girls calling out the bounty hey everybody. Hey, cool cats! Have you heard John Wick? You know, is it yeah. ready to be like? And I'm just like, you and said they're also, in the Eiffel Tower. Yeah, yeah it's and, not and, enough that they're on the radio. It's not enough that they're on the Eiffel Tower. They also have to be tatted up. They also have to be like pierced. They and it's all they're women, all wearing like, blouses, like normal uh, femme fatale blouses. But it's not even that John Wick is uh, in a heightened reality. It's in a some alternate reality, right? Like it's it's a full on like science fictional universe at that point. I think that's the most clear in the fourth. Yeah, where it's totally and, and, detached. and maybe that's why it's okay. But uh, Aaron, you, <laughs> in your intro, you said here, you know, uh, you're not sure anyone cares that much more at the at this point in the, the mythology. And I'm like, does anyone understand the mythology <laughs> entirely? I'm like, maybe I don't. Maybe I'm overthinking it. Like you, Anton, I liked three a bit better than number two. I enjoyed it. I had a good time with it. But I thought four. I enjoyed four much more. Maybe it was like a case where like the just the sheer volume is so impressive in terms of the action. But I also really liked the, uh, you know, 
the the cast in this one. I think you know uh, Hiroyuki Sonata and uh, Donnie Yen especially are just they're too cool. I, I want a whole movie about Kane. Kane's important in this, like in making I think this movie better. Yeah, I agree. He's not just the new, you know, sort of rival he, or, or the old friend. He is like as much a part of the heart of the film, I think, as Wick. Well, I think I think one of the key moments in this movie comes early on when um, it's at the Osaka Continental, which is run by Hiroyuki Sonata's Koji. So he's he's essentially the Japanese version of Ian McShane's Winston. He's the he's this old friend of Wick with this kind of assumed shared history. And his daughter is the concierge, Akira. And there's this whole kind of sequence where they're talking to each other and they're ta- they're speaking in, in third person and talking around the fact that you're like midway through. You're like, oh, that's his daughter. Like, it, mm-hmm. it's not yeah, this my, employee. I'll employer. be having they're, dinner with my daughter tonight. And they don't yeah, say exactly. <laughs> and so you get this. There's a bit of a tension and this, these different layers of, of roles, right? That it puts this idea in your mind that like these are people who wear different roles depending on the situation. But they're always beholden to rules. And she kind of warns him as being like, Wick's not worth it. He just burns down everything he touches. He's kind of, you know, he's cursed. So don't, we're going to lose everything we have if you protect Wick. Little does she know that John's already up on the roof. He's already hiding there. Koji's already made the agreement. And when she finds this out, Koji explains that like something's only worth it if you can lose everything. Like the loyalty is only valuable if it comes with a cost. Otherwise, it's not real friendship, it's not real loyalty, and it's not real bond. And it's one of those points that in a, in a lot of movies, it would bring up something like that, but it would drop it. And this movie goes back to that point again yep. and again, specifically through the reflection on the characters who die in the film, yep. like Koji, like um, Lance Reddick's Sharon. Which has an added uh, dimension given that he just passed away. Yeah. And and Ian McShane kind of speaks to this stuff, this idea of loss, and it's like there's the whole scene at his, at Sharon uh, Sharon's uh, gravestone in New York, and it's like, where do you want? What do you want on your gravestone? And all this this talk of legacy. And Donnie Yen's character is this, you know, constantly pulled back and forth. He's trying to he's doing all this stuff to protect his daughter, and the fact that every time he pops up in the film, it's like a dialogue within the action scenes, like literally within the action scenes happening where he's fighting parallel or sometimes is fighting John. And it constantly comes up as like, you know, who are you more loyal to? What's the cost here? What is this all going to? And I I just, I feel like it builds these stakes because it actually puts so much into the character of Kane that it allows us to have a through line where he's not, he's not like a supporting character here. He gets the other like parallel arc of John yep. and it allows us to understand these bonds as something deeper than, than just something that an action movie gestures at, which maybe clarifies Anton. I don't know. You can jump in here, but does it clarify why this one might've played better for you in the sense of it's, it's almost mythical, classical, ancient greek like yeah. sisyphean like the john wick movies in my mind are about a man who has gotten out of the underworld literally like he's let he's left the criminal underworld yeah and he goes back through like for revenge and rage and he essentially damns himself and it's a journey through hell the four movies it's like an orpheus myth exactly yeah, he's going back but journey. not he's going back to get his wife in a sense but he can never get her back so all he's doing is working out his grief at her loss and just killing everyone Right. He's bringing everyone to hell with them. Yeah. So I I totally agree that I think that this fourth one, I think I think all of the movies are playing with certain mythic elements. But this is the one that fully, 
fully like it really leans into that and commits to it and i actually think that means like that like this movie um it's telling like a basic story level but then it definitely has kind of like a like a symbolic mythic level to it all and like it's there in the way that the film is um just structured but then also the way it leans into like highly symbolic settings and um constructions like the very fact that you have them go up the steps like we can talk about what that what that means and that you end with a duel but not like a not like a a fight where you can leap around and you know use all your cool moves it's just we're gonna fire at each other in the old-fashioned duel way but i also think it's a series called john wick right so we have this character john wick and in the first movie and in all the other movies john wick is the most famous assassin in this uh story world everyone knows john wick they're like john wick oh john wick john wick he once was an associate of ours. We called him Baba Yaga. The boogeyman? Well, John wasn't exactly the boogeyman. He was the one you sent to kill the fucking boogeyman. Oh, John is a man of focus. By the fourth movie, we finally really feel that legend within the film. In the first one, it's 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 just, right, the movie has to sell this idea that John Wick is so special and he has this legendary status. But by this fourth movie, like, it doesn't even have to hint that. We just know John Wick is now, and Keanu Reeves' John Wick is just like this legendary character. So it, it I feel like that just works better. It also doesn't have those sort of... Um, Anders, I think you called them like, you know, these sort of too cute moments. Um, it had less sort of like, there's a few moments of sort of like uh, mean-spirited humor still, well, like you know, the dog <laughs> pissing on the guy. Uh, but it leans less into that and is more interested in, um, I always thought in the first movie, you know, it has a basic crime arc of like, I wanted to get out and then uh, my my beloved is killed and then I'm drawn back into the world, right? Like that's so many crime movies. When I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. Zappuccino, <laughs> <laughs> Zappuccino. Where this this fourth one's almost barely, it's barely a crime movie, and now it's. I actually think it's just it's um it's a compendium of American action film, including American action films' interests in certain foreign action forms, whether it's Hong Kong, uh, Japanese, etc. But in, in the fact that it starts uh, with this, you know, we're in the desert, but then it's also like a Western because he's riding horse. They're not on camels. He's riding a horse. He's shooting handguns while riding on that horse. Like it, it's drawing on so many elements of uh, of American action films, Euro thrillers, you know, not European action films, but specifically the American conception of like this Euro thriller driving fast cars and stuff. Berlin nightclubs, Berlin nightclubs, Paris. Yeah. All Scott Europeans are kind of sickos, <laughs> but but the other thing I just wanted to say, Aaron, was that the, for me it also like it the the characters have the most impact and the most depth because it's less about like I want revenge because what they killed my dog or like things like this, and it's more like no, like it's trying to it turns to um, I guess fraternal bonds, but also just relational bonds 
and it's less just actually motivated by revenge. I thought it was really interesting that the, um, you know, uh, the Osaka manager's daughter at one point says, you know, to Kane, she's like, I'm going to, you know, like, I'll get revenge on you. And the movie consciously sets that away. And I understand that probably they'll save that for maybe a future no, installment. No, it, it's, it's the post credit scene. I didn't even know yeah, there was a post credit scene. It's her showing up in Paris and Kane's there and it's like, okay, this is what you're getting next. Okay. But like, so it's doing, you know, like a Marvel tease of like more stuff. But the movie's less interested in revenge as the driving force. And it starts to turn to say, like, is there other, is there other meaning for John Wick? And because what I, circling back to my whole comment of like, who is John Wick? I think this is a movie that then asks, like, who is John Wick? And people are always asking John, what's in this for you? Like, what's your end goal here? And so I actually think it becomes kind of almost this like existential fable of like, how do you create meaning in your life? And at this stage, it's like John Wick's not just motivated by revenge. It starts to be things like, you know, on his gravestone where he's like, you know, a loving husband. And, and, you know, what does, uh, what does uh, Winston put on uh, Sharon's um, tombstone? He puts friend. And all of a sudden it starts to define people by like their relationship with other people. And it starts to say that that there's value in that. And then there's value in purpose in action, literally in action, like how you enact yourself. Like, and I think, so it turns the, it turns like, the very form of like action cinema into kind of like a meaning creation. Okay. So just jumping off that, like if we're going to view, so I, I agree with that reading and I, but I also would say that I think it might hit further, not just because of the other characters deliberately bringing up these relational meanings. I think it also is the fact that this is clearly set up as a climax as a fourth film. It's the return. Like he has had his revenge. It's no longer about getting, it's trying to like, what is the end game here? It's like, revenge, where are you leading? Yeah. What is the point of all this? Like, the why out? do we watch action, action cinema? Can the revenge ever be satisfied in these things? Or is it just lead to nothing, right? These are kind of the questions it's asking. But then the actual manner in which it explores this stuff is through these ridiculous action set pieces yeah. that are like enormous in scale, some of them. Yeah. To the point of the whole, I would say you know, scale wise, the roundabout scene at the Arc de Triomphe is like, yeah. it's like Frogger. It's like deadly Frogger where he's like fighting yeah. through traffic, all the guys. And I swear there's like hundreds of cars and hundreds well, of stuntmen working in the scene. <laughs> that's a sequence where you can't like, you cannot understand this as in any sense of real world because people wouldn't just keep driving their cars around the roundabout where there's like guys <laughs> doing a shootout. They just like stop. But like, but it, because it has to just keep doing that. That's why I felt like there was this, it actually leans into like the absurdity of the scenarios Mm -hmm. and starts to make them like, um, like I did feel like there was this weird sort of like Alice in Wonderland type aspect where it's like, like what is going on here? We're like so many cars are zooming around and you're going to get hit and you kind of have to like jump over them. So it's a bit of a, uh, like the mock turtles race. Yeah. Alice in Wonderland (laughs) that you feel compelled to do this thing. It's like, what do you, you know, how do you win? It's like, I don't know. It's like, we just got to keep going around and around and around. Backward, forward, upward, inward, bottom to the top. So Anton, your your reading is quite compelling to me. I think it helps me get it. Part of the reason I liked John Wick four a lot more than me, the others. You know, I haven't watched the first in a long time, but I, I like the first. But um, those those things that I think the the dangers for me, if I can be a little push a little push back a little bit, is that when we tend to that level of abstraction, I think it works for me better in 
different forms of art perhaps than cinema always because that it, it, it ends up feeling kind of like maybe you know i've used the term video game-ish honestly yeah. a lot right and like you know like the they're, they're npcs the other people in the city yes right? absolutely they're like they're just going through their emotions they don't have any free will of their own they're there purely as a backdrop to the real drama which takes place among this assassin's uh, sort of culture and league mm-hmm. right um and to me that you know, I think there's a place in like Greek myth and even and even comic books, like not mo- comic movies, but comic books to some extent can can deal with that kind of like abstract symbolism. And I think the film gets pretty close to that. Like I like this film quite a bit. I don't, you know, but to me, that is like the sort of one reservation I have about them is that they do feel kind of like not, maybe not sanitized, but like formal formalistic, not in like the way that they embrace their genre, but formalistic in the like pro forma. Like these things have to happen. I mean, yeah, I, I've commented yeah. even a number of times. Like, there's a certain after a certain number of times of John Wick doing a jujitsu takedown shot to the head of a person. It's like it's impressive, but it's like it becomes like repetitive and numbing. Right now, the big contrast I would give John Wick and, and that clarify for me how it stands out is compared with. Uh, I believe Stahelski's, is it uh, David Leach? Is that his name? Yeah. Who directed uh, Bullet Train and uh, the film that I really hated, which was Atomic Blonde, uh, is a film that you know, on a superficial level, I think has a lot of similarities to John Wick, um, but to me embodies all the, it, it leans too far too strongly into all those abstractions. And to me, they're, they're not just uh, symbolic or archetypal, but they rather become generic and cliched and, and empty in a way. But I, I think John Wick 4 manages to avoid that for a lot of the reasons that, that you say. So, you know, I, I liked it. I sort of think though that like, I, I agree that there is, and I think the 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 runtime of this movie for me, I was going into it actually like worried about like why is this movie so long, and like but you know I was hearing these raves, um, and for me the the length of the movie actually like accentuates the sort of the formalism of the action scenes, and they do get repetitive, but they're for me like it was repetitive the way that like watching a dance is. Mm. That's a good point. And I, I started to detach myself from like watching this almost as like action. And you just see like shapes and bodies like moving around in these same repeated things. And you notice that at some point he's going to throw a gun into the other person and then you'll swing one way and then you swing with the other. And it really became like, I was like the choreography was exceptional, but I also think these aspects are accentuated by, I would maybe watching two John Wicks close together. And I can't, I can't say if this is more so in the fourth but the attention to like the mise-en-scene in each shot, like in each setting is so intense that it's like, it's clearly they're going for something or I don't, I don't, maybe they're not conscious of this, but you're like, they're going for something that's beyond just like, they're so far beyond realism here. Like the way you're lighting, every single scene is like, this will have a template of like, this will be a green, red lighting setup. Okay. Now we're having a blue and black and like, Things are so like formally stylized that way. And I, I'm trying to figure out like what to make of it because you're like, it just felt like for whatever reason, this fourth one started to click that like, it felt like this was beyond doing something more than just kind of like style and like flash that it seemed to be trying to get at something. And like, I noticed, you know, when you get into like the, the Berlin club scene, it literally puts, you know, the fight in the midst of a rave dance which I think calls attention to the whole idea of like, what is this sort of choreographed action 
it, can we think of this as like a human form of dance, like just an alternative form of it? But then it also has interesting nods back to like, you know, the Matrix movies where it's like we see Keanu Reeves fighting guys in the rain. And I'm thinking of, you know, Matrix revolutions. Uh, we're thinking of rave scenes like for the Wachowskis. Like, so it starts to then like it's like a, a it's like a ball that keeps getting like all these different action genres like stuck onto it. Like think about the opening it opens with um, I don't know if we call it like, uh, you know, it's an allusion to uh, right to Lawrence of Arabia. Right. We get the, it's literally the same spot. It's Wadi Room. Yeah. And you get the match cut. Um, and I, I will say for a movie that um, it's almost three hours, they should have. They should have just held the sun rising fully. They had to cut a little bit further along into like the sun rising. And you're like, no, no, like you guys are taking your sweet time and everything. We could have just seen the whole sunrise. But but then like, you know, so you're like, oh, so like we're getting this like desert adventure. And then all of a sudden you see like John Wick racing on a horse, firing like his guns. You're like, okay, this is also like a Western. And it just keeps doing this in every scene. I think you have to view the action scenes as dance, honestly. I And I would say dance beyond, like not just dance, like ballet specifically. And you have- Because the whole point- The the the, the Rusko Roma, like always doing yes. the ballet. So there's that also connection within the films. Yeah, but it's the, the key is that in ballet, it's not, I'm not an expert of ballet or anything, but in ballet, there's never any question as to like, why are these characters- dancing yes they dance that is their purpose that is their aesthetic expression of the story this is how we're going to understand all these emotional conflicts between them through these set confines and these rules of the dance and within that because the very presentation of it is not bound by these rules of the real world it's bound by the rules of the specific form it now allows you to play with notions of like okay you're going to add meaning through light and you're going to add meaning through what is how close do they become to you and what are their costumes and how close do they get to each other when they fight and it's it's this idea of implied intimacy between the people who are dancing or fighting together but also between how you witness the dance right and it's it's all these things where people sometimes people will be like well don't you think the scenes just go on too long like it's not justified blah 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 it's like no part of the thing that I think is kind of brilliant about the John Wick series is that it actually boils down the whole purpose of these types of American action movies is the action. And it's the thing that I think excuses some of the archness of the mythology is that it sets up a non-realistic arch world story world that allows you to believe the unreality of the situations that they find themselves in and not doubt it because it's set up these rules that it's like, well, that's why they do this. That's why they do that. Blah, 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 blah. This isn't our world. (laughs) And just taking the scenes on a, on a, like a very basic pure formal level, like it's, it's actually kind of, it's, I almost feel like they did themselves a disservice by making four of them because people now think it's like easy to make an action scene as good as the action scenes in these movies. Like if you just take the raid on the Osaka continent, which lasts and the, about how long? Like half an it's hour. It's like twenty five <laughs> minutes. Yeah, and it it the layers of escalation within the scene, but not just escalation. It's like tension. Like you know stuff's going down, and Koji walks through there, and he's getting his guys, and you see the sumo wrestlers, and you see the archers, and it's like okay, we got to get some things to bring our guests, and they're grabbing like the katanas off the like in the kitchen and stuff and then you have you know you have the sword fight okay you're gonna go up the stairs and there's this fight up there and then there's the whole art installation and it's just the way that 
like think about it. We walk through the entire space with Koji and Akira. We understand the geography of the entire hotel. He walks us up the staircase. He walks us through the art installation into the back room, through the back room, through the kitchen, into the other amphitheater. Then goes up there and there's the secret balcony. And then the fight starts and the fight moves us all the way back through. So we know every single spot. We know what actually obstacles there's going to be. We know that where the exit is. It's just, it's the kind of filmmaking that it, we almost take it for granted because the film is doing something that so many other yeah. movies don't do. They have no interest in setting up of like, oh, I understand the space. I understand what he, the objects in the space. And I understand how we can use the space to kill the other guys and to get out. Yeah. And like, it's, it's, it almost makes me want to say that John Wick movies are maybe the only action movies and the other movies you call action aren't actually action movies. I know in action in the sense of like, like, the narrative is subordinate to the action, but not in like a pejorative sense. It's not like the movie, the story turns off when yes. you have an action scene. Right. They're not, if you want to go by the the whole idea of uh, what is Tom Gunning's famous thing. What is it? Um, cinema of attraction. Yes. Right? Cinema Where, of attraction. So, yeah. so you have narrative that is, but he argues that that is actually the purest form of cinema then. So maybe I want, I bet Tom Gunning must like John Wick because it's like a return to this idea of like, the, the attraction of action and movement and seeing this thing on screen is not subordinated to narrative. It actually become, predates the narrative in a certain sense. You want Stahelski loves. Okay, like just the only thing one... one Buster Keaton. Stahelski, yeah. No, he constantly talks about silent film. Like constantly. That is the way that he frames basically every action scene. And he's like... Silent films have this kind of implied relationship to the camera and the way that scenes are staged that you don't think about. There's no discussion of reality. There's no discussion of the staging and the aestheticism or the formalism of it. It's all just built into it. And it's actually becomes more like subconscious and more immediate. And so he's constantly thinking of like, well, I'm going to stage it in these ways that almost old silent films would do it because it gets into that part of the brain where it now you take it as a movie reality. So, so, okay. I have two thoughts about that. One was that, so we, we've, We've all made a few references to um, the video game aspect of this movie. Aaron, you talked about how it, you know it it lays out the geography the way that you start to you know you get to used to um, like a three D level in a video game, mm-hmm. um, and then it allows you to play in it. But you know we're passive, we're not active, right? We're watching like uh, you know John do the stuff. But so what are video games? And like I've been thinking about you know I finished up The Last of Us. Aaron or Aaron and I are working on Roundtable, but we were. We're talking about like, you know, what is what is a video game primarily doing? Like, I think it is an art form, but on some level, like they're narrative, but that's not the primary level. And there seems to be something about like the way that John Wick does certain um, physical actions, certain uh, certain tackles, things like that. They remind me very much of, in a you know, different shooter games or whatever, where you have like certain moves, like if I hit my B or my C, he'll do like a little roll spin or like, you know, like different little actions. And we know that those are, you have these different combos that you can use in different ways, but there seems to be like, um, they actually gain significance by seeing the repetition of that action, like performed out. And so there's, that seems to be the way it like one level where it's like doing something, not just telling a story, but actually like the repetition of the action. The other question I have then is like this. I didn't realize he was in uh, Stahelski was interested in silent film because watching this one, I was finding like, oh, you know what? John Wick must be referencing M for its care uh, for its portrayal of the criminal underworld. So in M, uh, if you haven't seen it, um, you know, any listeners, you know, it's famous uh, early sound film, but still largely 
like about half the movie's kind of silent uses some early ver- uh, is 1930 Anders? Or? 31 yeah so it's it's Fritz Lang uh, it's about a child killer in Berlin and things are getting so bad that the criminal bosses in Berlin decide that they're gonna have to take uh, matters into their own hands and try and hunt down this child killer played by uh, Peter Lorre and we even get uh, beggars who are employed to you know they, they <laughs> the beggars run the street you know and it's all this like they're controlling it. we I'm thinking of the Bowery King you know and the the high table and you get a point in M where all the big crime bosses have a big table that they actually sit around and they decide stuff and so I was like oh like maybe he is and if he's if he's into movies from that time like I don't it gives a bit of a reference point that you know, um, I think it's drawing on some of this sort of like Fritz Lang stuff too. I don't, I don't know what to make of it entirely. I still yeah. don't entirely love the mythology. The, the last <laughs> point I'll say is that, and this is something I'm working on an essay for the site on John Wick 4, but there's something about the way that this film approaches the highly elaborate, stifling rules of this world and seeks to liberate John from them. And what does he have to do? He has to go to the sacred heart. He has to climb up these stairs. And then eventually he's going to have to sacrifice himself in order to, um, essentially, that's that's his out, his sacrifice for another well, person. Well, for his friend. For his friend. It actually is it sacrificial actually, for everybody. And it becomes yeah. sacrificial <laughs> for everyone. And then I was like, oh, so we're almost getting this like portrayal of like, it's like, a, it's essentially an act of grace resolves things in John Wick 4. Yeah. John Wick's so, act of grace. So what John Wick 4 finally settles is that Keanu Reeves is Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> but he kills a lot of people. Yeah. But, and I was like, the way it builds up but, this... But remember, this is hell, so he's just killing exactly. people. This is the... the, the uh, Scary hell. hell. Yeah. But we have this, you know, we have this rules-based system where it's all about merit and what you owe to each other. And you get, it's like caricatures of like the medieval, you know, church where it's just like all these different elaborate forms of appeasement that have to be met and then somehow like how do you get out of purgatory yeah. how do you get to the next stage it's like dante's inferno and like you're moving through the levels yeah. i don't know i think so that's something i'm going to try and explore more but so i even feel like the film itself is trying to almost like in in on a narrative level trying to be like well how does john will get out of this but it seeks to almost be like okay like how do you actually get out of this cycle of revenge that consumes all of these action films and it does, I yeah. think it ultimately, as you said, Aaron, it, like, it says that it's like the only way out is someone actually has to, to bite the bullet, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, you have to pay the price. Uh, but like, I think the movie does gesture at all this stuff. I don't want to overstate yeah. it to the point of being like, it says everything very profoundly or that every scene works and whatnot. I do think that there are clear action scenes in this film that are exceptional. Other ones that I don't think about that much. And say one like the overhead shot uh, scene through the apartment where he's got the incendiary rounds where <laughs> so many how, okay, that can is you have where, that many incendiary rounds on a Yeah. That is where it turns into a, like a true video game, but I in the theater was like chuckling like I was just loving the fact that it's like oh now he has the power to like light his enemies on fire John, John Wick <laughs> just witnessing him he with a fire like, flower you are, <laughs> like no but that's the thing it's like or or it's like I banish you to hell <laughs> he's just blasting these guys with flame and they're like going back to the pit it's it's just like that scene I, I like the going the whole overhead shot the minority report Spielberg yeah, style yeah. Um, use of an apartment building but I don't think it connect uh, is as good as say the, the Osaka fight just because Koji is built up as such a good character. He gets his nice little mini arc of the cost. 
I think the Berlin club sequence is great, partially because Scott Atkins is the funniest part in all these <laughs> movies, I think. I think it's where the humor actually works. Yeah, he's so good. Because I don't though. think the humor often works. No, it, it but it it works, but it's also having Scott Atkins, who, if people don't know, is this very renowned American action star for like directed video stuff. And he's an, like an exceptional martial artist. He actually plays opposite Donnie Yen in Eight Mon Four. Um, he's like the villain in it. Having him in the fat suit, it puts the audience at a like you expect him to be this gross, disgusting, monstrous villain. You don't expect him to kick his yeah. ass like when it actually starts fighting. Like the whole sh- where it pulls back to the shot of him doing the roundhouse and kicking him off the thing. And, <laughs> and I could tell everybody in the audience was like, whoa, like, OK, this guy's actually going to fight. But he's got that weight behind him. So he's actually like deadly yeah. <laughs> because he's so big. Um, I like that sequence. And then the whole stair fight sums up the whole movie you almost don't need any of the rest of the movie you just need this fight up the stairs down the stairs back up the back stairs. up and then the duel i know that's the sort of thing where like you know in aaron your your review does a great job of starting with that scene because it, it's key to it all and i think that like that to me is the most like i'm glad that they had the guts to just we're, we're gonna we're gonna make them go up we're gonna make you watch him go all the way down and we're gonna do it one more time <laughs> this time with kane and to just actually stick to that, because by doing it all, I, I actually think it has a lot more meaning than if you just tried to sort of like to fudge it or if you just gets up in there and won. Like, what did you think of like Donnie Yen is probably the best addition to the series, but now yeah, he was do, really good. But do you think that like in a way almost this becomes the Kane movie? <laughs> I, I think it's more of a, a foil. So it's like like Wick's better because we have. Kane and I will say that I always thought that in so I, I like the fact that it's sort of like a you know a frenemy like it's like we were friends now we're enemies like so it's sort of a classic action movie thing but it makes it makes Kane so good that we actually are like oh could could like Kane could actually kill Wick because basically we usually we haven't really feared it's always more a question of like how much pain can Wick take but we assume he'll prevail and so i think by making kane like and also casting kane as like a huge action star right like donnie Yen, it gives the sense that you're like oh like this is actually someone who could potentially kill john wick because you have like that kind of like star behind it i i, f- I find it very funny that uh he's playing a blind character just like he did in rogue one <laughs> yeah who sort of like operates off of like sixth sense like no but he uses the sound exactly. like the when he taps the that's those little like things that he put and then his cane that he his physical performance is great because the way he did his like like him going slow and then fast you know like when he's sort of like and he's kind of stumbling around, around and sometimes. then yeah and he's almost falling into stuff but then other times like when he shoots like he actually did a great like that would be really hard to try to convey like directionally I'm trying to shoot because like what you notice is that he's not just like firing around randomly. No. He's very precise, but his body, right? Like Donnie Yang can control his body so well that he can actually like convey that. It doesn't get just like lost in the camera yeah. work. You can tell like what Kane's trying to do. What I would say is that this film gains for having both Yen and Reeves in those roles. I think they elevate the movie. I think that it's an example of they both have a star power to them, but it's kind of an oh, unusual yeah, yeah. sort of star power. But they're movie stars in a real way that elevates yeah. those roles. I, I really appreciate, you know, that Keanu has like sort of gained an, a sort of, I won't say a new respect, but like a re reiterated how special he is yeah. in his, his unique way. And also Donnie Yen, you know, reminding, you know, American audiences who maybe not haven't seen all his 
films what he uh, is capable of as a action star, right? And mm-hmm. uh, action stars today, I like the fact that they're not in like a franchise here. In the sense that, well, they are obviously John Wick's like you know four film franchise, but it becoming, only exists. But it only exists because of Keanu Reeves, right? Yeah. It, it, it the the logic works the other way around. They built the franchise around him rather than inserting him into a pre existing IP. So I think that is important. So it's a more well. classical actually franchise. However much the Russo brothers might constantly with their stupid uh, Russo brothers pizza film school crap might be talking about um, we're living in a post movie star world, which is absurd considering partially that like they are Marvel directors working these big movie stars. And it's like you 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 can't be reflecting on a trend that you set <laughs> like you forced this as a trend in the movies you made, which crowded out the other movies. But it's also like you guys constantly want to be making John Wick stuff with your they're like side projects. They they want to be John Wick. Yeah, they want to be John Wick. And it's like the John Wick movies are an action. They're a star vehicle. They're one of the few star. The only, you know, the only true movie star in Hollywood is Tom Cruise in the sense of like he transcends any possible brand that he's involved with. But the John Wick movies are a perfect example of Keanu Reeves star power. These movies are all about his specific physical allure as a action star. And these movies have gone increasingly popular yeah. to the point where the fourth one is the most popular. So, in fact, so is the poster so for far, the fourth yeah. is the sorry is the poster for the fourth one not just Keanu? Just his face. Yeah, yeah and it's in the corner it maybe says John Wick, but it doesn't even say like you know it doesn't say Keanu Reeves, and it doesn't really give much information. And you're it actually was like because people will be like now oh like Keanu John Wick, like that just conveys what you're talking about in terms of the star power. People keep asking if I'm back, and I haven't really had an answer. But now, yeah, I'm thinking I'm back. I would say that Keanu's special star power is weirdly, in a way, not dissimilar in some ways from Cruz. There is also a kind of uh, respect for their uh, craftsmanship. And, uh, you know, there's a sort of integrity. There's there's an integrity to their performances, a holistic integrity, not just in terms of their like you know, dialogue and things like that. That's not what you're there for. You're there for the the whole person, the body. And the commitment that. to the production. The, and the too, commitment right? to the production, exactly, yeah. Like, you know, you can tell he's, like, I think, was it, maybe Reeves was like, we can't, they had a different name for the series. Like, what, his name wasn't John Wick. Yeah, it was a different yeah, name. Yeah, and then I think, I don't know if it was Reeves and someone else, but they were like, he was like, we can't use that. We need a different name to be like the character. Because it's a good name. Like, it just sort of sticks in your mind. What I think, it, I think the first movie was named something else. And then he's like, well, we'll just care, name oh, it. Oh, yeah, character, yeah. I we'll think. call it the character. Yeah. The other thing with, I would say, that Cruz and Reeves have in common is they don't condescend to the genre ever. Mm. They don't, they yeah, like, yeah. it's this true idea that you are paying to see a movie and I want to give you a show. And I'm going to put the work in to make sure that, like, I'm living up to my bargain. And if you're going to pay money to see it, you're living up to your bargain. It's interesting how they like, because I, I agree that there's a lot of commonalities, but their they're like screen presence is, even though they're both actually very physical actors, and you know, you've talked about doing the stunts and stuff, um, like Cruz is always like, um, like he's electricity. Mm-hmm. And like, like there's something about- You can't about, contain him, hold him still, right? Yeah. And he has like, the, he exudes out this energy, right? Whereas like um, Keanu Reeves, partly because from obviously- yeah, you know, you, like Zen. Zen. Yeah, you're right. He, like, you know, and he just sort of like, like he's great. I mean, he's literally Buddhist. Yeah, so. <laughs> but he's great for Wick because it's like, you know, you always, you know, and he, he he leans into that now with like, how many actually lines of dialogue does he have? And then we know there'll be a couple of moments where we have like an understated line towards the camera. Just sort of like, oh, yeah, I think so. 
<laughs> I'm gonna need a gun. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like so slowly. The uh, the the one last thing I would say about the the film is very interesting. Is like I, I've appreciated what you guys have said about this stuff. Donnie Yen's character is Kane, which is obviously uh, named after uh, Kane from Kung Fu, the television series. Who. Uh, David Carradine played in the television show, who was Bill in Tarantino's Kill Bill. The this series that I, I felt like compelled to revisit after watching John Wick 4 was the two Kill Bill films, which I hadn't watched in well over maybe a decade. They also do have a similar rumination on the nature of revenge and the sort of uh, you know never ending, how do, how do we end this? How do you satisfy these kind of things how do you give someone back something that you've taken away from them that you can you know never repay these kind of questions that i think you know they're very different in terms of actually their their cinematic antecedents even if you know tarantino also draws on uh hong kong and japanese cinema you know you have the street fighter Tori hanzo uh you know you have uh obviously pai mei the the kung fu master and and you know, drawing on things like the the Jackie Chan, Fearless Hyena, and Drunken Master, and things like that. But there is a the Tarantino because of his his he's is ultimately. I mean, the action scenes in that film, those films, are pretty great. They're they're different than John Wick, though, right? Mm-hmm. Even though he has a uh, young Wu Ping coming to help him with that, the focus is never ultimately on the action. The the focus is ultimately on the dialogue and the and Tarantino's love of essentially like they're they're actually very like small films in a way which is kind of interesting uh in a lot of ways too and there's a, a kind of they still feel like movie world but they feel like you know all the the grindhouse films of the 70s and 60s but done in a different kind of way so they're, they're very different films actually ultimately in terms of what their references are you know are the uh, characters sci- more psychologically real even though they're in kind of this movie world what do you th- like? How do you, they are. You they definitely. They're, they're like you know. What I mean, they are because you actually like feel it a lot. Um, you know the bride's arc. Yeah, and like what she no, goes Uma through, and like the child and all that. Not to take not take nothing away from what Keanu does, but uh, her, her performance is very different. It's a, very different for sure. Yeah, it's not trying. Like John Wick is clearly not trying to make us um, be affected through our emotional relationship right. with the character or or putting ourselves in the emotional space of the character. Right. Now, and it's interesting that John Wick begins with the dissolution of a family unit. Mm, yeah, yeah. And Kill Bill ends with the dissolution reuniting of a family unit. So it's it's very much more focused on uh, the, 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 the mother uh, daughter relationship and, and those kind of questions and anyway it, it was it was, i was glad that john wick got me to go back and revisit those because uh you know what they they hold up and they feel like movies made <laughs> made 100 years ago at this point they feel so different from uh the way movies are made today that you know on sets with like lighting he tarantino lights the bride like uh joseph von sternberg lights Mar- marlena dietrich that's like you know that's what they're going for there. But John Wick, you, you've convinced me though that as much as I sort of uh, bristle at some of the uh, mythology and stuff, that there might be a a purpose to the abstraction and the the way that it approaches uh, its world building. <laughs> so, you want to kill him? You want to kill him? I want to kill him. <laughs> what about you, Mr. Vic? I'm going to kill you. 
Oh, for better, of course, yeah. <laughs> well, it looks like we have ourselves a... a genuine conundrum. <laughs> a quandary, if you will. A real-life dilemma. <laughs> so, I thought we'd play a game. One hand. Zivina decides who lives. <laughs> so we've kind of commented that the John Wick series has become increasingly beholden to video game logic as the series progresses. Um, for example, the watching John from above fight his way through the apartment building of assassins. It's kind of like watching another gamer move through a level in a third person shooter, right? The whole act of watching the film seems like you're watching a video game now. So I want to turn our attention to an actual video game adaptation. My army Koopas, Koopas. Whatever those things are! Aww. We will destroy the Mushroom Kingdom! Yeah! Bowser is coming. I'm not afraid. I'll do anything for my brother. We're going to save him. Yes! Fire! <laughs> and I'm curious, because watching the Super Mario Bros. movie, I think part of the desire on the filmmaker's part, even though even it's a kid's film, is to try to replicate the feel and the the iconography of the the series, whether it's this, the Mario Kart games or the Super Mario games. And so this animated adaptation of the iconic Nintendo video game series, watching it, I can't quite tell whether this movie's actually trying to replicate that or it's simply an animated movie with all the designs, characters, levels resembling the game without actually getting at what the core appeal of the game is. So we all saw this together over Easter weekend. We had the kids in tow. Um, I feel like based off all their reactions, it's really clear that this movie is targeted to children. Um, it seems to really work well for them, both the humor and the brightness and the energy of it. Um, I'm not sure it's something that's going to stay in their brain forever, but it seemed to really satisfy them in the moment. But does it actually work as a movie or is it just kind of a product extension of the Mario universe? Is it just another piece of IP? Um, I don't want to go like too deep on this, but I'm just curious general thoughts because we didn't really get into it after the movie. So, Anders, did you like the Super Mario Bros. movie? I cannot enjoy it on a certain level because the, as you say, the iconography is such a strong part of even my childhood going back to... You know NES and the even the the opening scene with like you know you know original Super Mario Brothers and the Nintendo logo and all the little references to all the various games even up to Mario Odyssey right I don't think it's a te it's bad but I don't think it's actually much different or better than most of the animated movies that I've seen in the last few years like what it, what works really well in the movie is that they smartly didn't visually update the characters they essentially look like the, the Pixar or Illumination version of what you would get in the video game. And that's good. But I think ultimately I'm not sure that having Mario and Luigi be voiced by Chris Pratt and Charlie Day works as well as some of the other characters gaining celebrity voices because ultimately in Super Mario Brothers games, you're Mario. And you if to capture the feeling of the game... It's so like once you introduce another personality and a backstory about, you know, their life in Brooklyn and the relationship with the dad and stuff like that, I'm just like, I don't know. It, it kind of like loses the feel of the game for me in a, yeah. in a certain way. I did enjoy 
Jack Black's Bowser, partly because Bowser's always a kind of outrageous, ridiculous character. Uh, and it kind of plays into some of the, the campier elements, even from some of the last games with like his, his wedding stuff, right? From Odyssey and all that. So is it, does it work as a movie? I'm not sure. I'm like, maybe if, can I say that I both, I kind of enjoyed the movie, but at the same time, I'm not sure that it is anything more than an extension of Nintendo's IP into, uh, you know, what passes for children's 3D animation nowadays. Is that too harsh? I don't know. No, like I think. I don't think it's harsh. Uh, they Remember, they li- like they obviously did the old movie, which is <laughs> a weird abomination. But they also had the Super Mario Bros. TV show, yep. remember, in the 90s. Cartoon. Which yeah. seems very much like this, where it was just basically the animation stuff from like Super Mario 2 and 3. Yeah, yeah I like, I like, I don't actively dislike the movie because there's enough about it that I enjoy. But I, I do feel like. Like when Aaron, the I guess the questions you set up of sort of being, does this work as Mario, like conveying the feel and the the play of like a Mario game, or is this just sort of a children's entertainment? I actually think that the movie is only partially successful at duplicating uh, what I remember and still enjoy about playing in those games. Um, so I appreciated that the, the movie invests in having like. Um, a Mario Kart race scene. And we'll forget whether this makes any sense to have characters riding around in little carts and stuff, but you know, we'll, we'll do that. And then we'll have characters jumping around on blocks. And sometimes we'll go to a side panel sort of scroller to see something happen. I, what I actually really didn't like was giving too much backstory um, to Mario and Luigi, them in Brooklyn plumbers, having a really, really weak, like trying to tag on like some glib meaning to the movie of sort of like, ah, I always just feel beaten down. Like no one understands me or, you know, like you're just like, we didn't need that. Like no one needs the hook. None of the kids need the hook. They're there for Mario. It's obligatory. It's a, ob- it's obligatory in these, these children's entertainments, but it's something and I, I shouldn't actually punish this movie for doing it no. because it's a larger trend. That's bad but they just shouldn't have it and they don't need it. I don't know why they just think do pure sugar it. at this point. Let's admit. And, and it goes back but it doesn't to even Aaron's have to comment. be pure sugar. Nope. Yeah. But, but to go back to Aaron's comments, like I can't really hold it against the movie because like, I don't ever, I don't think I like super Mario brothers. It's been a part of my whole, you know, childhood and even adulthood and my kids love it too. But like, it's not sacred. It's like, no, it was already like, like you said, there was already a cartoon. There was already the Bob Hoskins movie that yeah, it's already yeah, it's marketed not... into like candies and a million things. Like there was nothing, there was nothing ever to be, uh, perverted. In it's, it's, it's not a purist complaint. What right. my concern is that the movie doesn't, okay. I found the whole movie to be overly glib and I actually didn't really like Jack Black's Bowser. Because I just, I, I kind of tire of kids' movies where it just turns everything into ha-ha. Like, let's kind of be like, make fun of everything. And what I actually, playing some of the early Mario games, what I just felt like it, the movie lacks is like, so one of the pleasures, we've talked about the, the pleasure of sort of repetitive action in video games. One of the other great strengths of video games, and yes, to a lesser extent in Mario, but it's still there in, say, Mario World, atmosphere, creating a sense of, feeling and being a space in a certain space even if it, even if it's a side scroller sometimes there'd be certain levels you're like i just sort of like being in this level and i like the way it looks and this movie is so fast and so quick dancing around everything and not really it never takes much time to let us 
inhabit any of this space. And I actually That's think a like making complaint. And I think um, what Aaron's Aaron's comment, you know, like I think my boys like during watching it, I think they were having a, a huge blast. Like they were like loving it. They're like shouting at the screen. I don't know if my one son like I can't I couldn't tell if afterwards if he thought like Bowser was too funny because he like always thought Bowser was kind of like scary because they're quite young. But then the other thing was that I was like, I actually haven't heard them like they were so excited for this movie and they talked about it nonstop for like weeks and maybe even like months and they would watch the trailer and this was one of their first movies like build, being built up. And after it, they've talked about how fun it was to go see it with everyone, but they actually haven't talked about the movie that much. And so I actually do feel like it's kind of like it has a it's it's pleasurable, but it has a really short afterlife. No, I think that kind of sums it up, really. I don't don't ex- I didn't expect this movie to be anything special. I just I'm actually satisfied with it as it's presented in the sense that it is a it's the like, you know, the cookie cutter children's film that we get from Illumination, from Disney, from DreamWorks. It's. The story's not any worse than any of those others. Yeah. I like the iconography of Mario much better than Minions <laughs> yes. and stuff. So I'm much more happy to watch a movie that's got the Mario music and it's got the power-ups and it's got jumping on heads and, and Mario Kart and all this, that, and the other. I, I really appreciate that they, that as both of you have said, that the movie looks like Mario, that they didn't try and change it. Like the what what Mario looks like and make him too realistic or like play around with things on that way. So that that was a really smart choice by them because that made it really easy to sort of slip into the world. I do think maybe Anders was going to talk about this, the music. Yeah, like that's I, what I was going to mention. I actually wish that they had just had the straight music at times and not like a different orchestral version. versions. Yeah. yeah, the I think that when you talked about atmosphere in the Mario games, I think music plays a big role in it. Yeah, yeah. Even if the simple uh, stuff, I mean. I'm one of those strange people that would listen to like the uh, select uh, file screen from Mario 64 <laughs> on loop for like hours. But there's another, yeah, another conversation about amazing video game music YouTube streams. But um, the but that takes patience. That's time too, right? It's the ability. Well, and they, to, and they assume that children and, have no patience, right? And, and this is actually why stop. John Wick works. If I go back to John Wick, works as a more video game movie because it gives itself the time for repetition yes. to start to. It's patient. No longer just you know. It's like if you repeat it enough, it, like you've moved to the next level of like rep, what repetition means in that way, right? So yeah, I wish the movie was a little more patient. I wish it was a little more. Um, you know, I mean, it, it gives it was fine for Mario. Makes me a little bit worried about what Nintendo is going to do with Legend of Zelda, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. If they do Zelda, it cannot it cannot be glib. We cannot have a glib. Zelda. No, no, it's got we got to be like hand drawn animation, like or like cell shaded three D. Yeah. The the that's the thing I was going to say is that I actually don't know if Mario is like capable of a good. Movie. No, it's like goofy. I just don't know if it. It's, it is, should be. No, like, I would zoom even deeper into the goofiness. Like I would like go like no, no, nineteen twenties. No, you know, Looney Tunes and like, what I'm Tex saying Avery. is that I, like, I, I don't entirely blame them for being glib. Where it's like, it's Mario. It's not. I kind of wish they'd just gotten rid of the backstory and you didn't have any of that emotional baggage at all. That's more my issue. It's it's well, that's what I find. It's just glib. like it's, I, it's fake attempts, fake attempts at stuff. No, I, I get that. It's or it's it's yeah, it's you know, it's performing the the what's expected yeah. of a children's mm-hmm. film in 2023. It's just like if they end up doing a um, yeah, a Zelda movie, 
which I'm sure they will. Mm -hmm. That has to be treated with a like, uh, you know, an appropriate seriousness to the way that the games are because the games are only getting more serious yeah, they should partner with ghibli instead of illumination that would be the dream no exactly that's the that's the kind of thing is like you have to be appropriate to that story and I, one last comment is the other nintendo movie of recent years that i actually wish this was a little bit more of like is detective pikachu yeah. and the thing with detective pikachu is that it's it's so confident in the inventiveness of pokemon in and of themselves that it does com- something completely different yeah. like it's it's not interested in giving you a ash ketchum no. movie or something right it's, it's just actually like literally a, a, world like with a weird detective a story mystery. set yeah. in a world with pokemon and part of the joy of that is just seeing like 3d you know animated versions of pokemon living in a cool city because rhyme city is like awesome a design yeah i'm with you i actually i I like Detective Pikachu a lot. Yeah, but no, but the, the more time since Detective Pikachu, yeah, the more I'm like, I actually yeah. like, I actually like the film's irreverence towards the very topic. But it, it it like nails all the specifics, and then it's like we can just do whatever story we want. But you know, like I I don't I don't think we should give up the possibility though that a film based on some, like essentially children's entertainment that's like that's silly is fundamentally silly has to be like treated like i just i was i, I last couple of years i watched uh who from roger rabbit again get this lightning ball i don't work for tones which is literally mining like you know cartoons of the 30s and 40s uh and i'm just like stunned how good of a job they do in that movie both preserving the inherent goofiness and ridiculousness of like you know Looney Tunes and Silly Symphonies and Merry Melodies and all those things with like an actual movie that has real stakes and things. I, I it's it's kind of a miracle, honestly. <laughs> I'm not really sure how you'd do it with the video game thing because I think then you would, you know, the temptation would be to do something like I don't know, like Free Guy or something like that. But but Detective Pikachu kind of it is kind of is the closest Roger thing Rabbit. to that, yeah. Because it's the real life and the, the mystery thing too, the Pokemon, right? Yep. So. <laughs> Yeah, like, but again, I I don't really hold anything no. against Super Mario no. Bros. movie. I think it's completely fine. Like, and I don't. But people who get weirdly upset about it online, I think, need to. Yeah, that's, take a... <laughs> the fact that we t- we talk fifteen minutes on it because we all saw it and it's the really big movie. But if if you are like somehow going to see this movie and you're like angry about Chris Pratt <laughs> being Mario, and you're like a cinephile, it's just like why are you going to see this? Like, just, just don't go see it. You don't, if you don't have a kid exactly. or you think it's just stupid, you're not beholden to yeah. anything. <laughs> I just calm down. <laughs> you know, so this is a year of like, you know, video game adaptations with like the last of us being like the biggest TV show of the year, the biggest movie right now, super Mario. I, I, I kind of wish both these, which are very different genre audience, all that sort of stuff. Like you couldn't get further. But still about mushrooms, right? Uh, <laughs> you're right. There's a fungal connection between Mario and The Last of Us. And a hero with a mustache. You're of the fungus. Remember, SNL did the uh, oh, okay. Super Mario Bros with Pedro Pascal. That's funny. Okay. They all need to take uh, some notes from James Cameron in the Avatar movies for how to create the feeling of like a a secondary world on a movie screen and put people into that atmosphere and let them inhabit it. And neither of these works do that. I think well at all. And I think that if you could do that, 
you would achieve like something more that would be doing something really interesting. And I don't know, like, obviously there's a lot of differences to how you tell a story in a movie and how you tell it in a video game. But um, I think even if you look at the way that John Wick leans into, uh, I guess in Anderson, uh, it's patient with the repetitions. I actually think there's something interesting to be done within cinema at this intersection point. And people need to not worry about other things in some of these video game adaptations. Tell them. Tell them all. Whoever comes, whoever it is, I'll kill them. I'll kill them all. Of course you will. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you on the next episode of Three Brothers Filmcast. Goodbye, Mr. Bond. I bid you farewell. <laughs>